1: fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com
2: hello guys and girls the program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational but it is not a substitute for medical advice although we are doctors we are not your doctors Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. Jay.
0: Hey, guys. Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher.
2: And Santosh, I know last week we talked about aliens. And it turns out real-life space medicine is way more interesting. So uh, I figured (laughs) it's an alternate week.
0: I mean, is this... Is this before or after you really – I mean, you had us convinced for like a hot second because of the number of things that were like logically lining up with scientific method and why aliens would probe us. And I still haven't forgiven you for that. I don't think Eleanor has either.
3: (laughs) I've, I've blocked it out. It's, <laughs> Much it's like l- an abduction. Exactly. Much like an lost abduction. memory, lost right. time.
2: And we welcome back our space pharmacist. <laughs> Do well, we-
3: hello, hello, everyone.
2: <laughs> are, are, is so, she
0: welcome? Does she feel welcome?
3: I really, know. I've been dragged back, you know, kicking and screaming. Yeah. In some
2: sort of tractor beam. No, no. Uh, this week... <laughs> It's an alternate week, Santosh, and you know what that means.
0: Oh, Kermit Arms, get ready.
2: It's time for everybody's favorite segment, Journal Club! Yay! Yay!
0: Okay, all right.
2: All right, as we all lower our Kermit Arms, this week the theme is going to be space medicine. Perhaps we'll explore some strange new worlds of physiology.
0: We're going to be in the realm this time of the modern and the real. So I'm guessing that even with uh, both professional aerospace pharmacist, Eleanor Rangers here, as well as, you know, Star Trek fanatic, Dr. Eleanor Rangers, ah, we're going yes. to be staying away from some of like the tricorders and stuff like that.
2: Yes, now. no tricorders now. Really? Okay. We're going to let her captain the vessel santosh so uh, oh (laughs) i like it um so let's start within your wheelhouse uh i asked you for a couple articles that you had been watching um as they related to medicine and one of the first you brought up was how to prolong the shelf life of drugs in space which is not something i think a lot of us have thought about or at least not more than a passing like huh I wonder what it would be like to take aspirin and anti-gravity, or what's much more likely, Viagra. (laughs) For your lungs.
3: Yes, for your
0: lungs. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can try that one too. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) It's
2: hard to breathe in space. That's hard. (laughs) That's why no one can hear you scream. But um, in
3: space, would Viagra really be needed since everything <laughs> floats?
2: <laughs> well, <I> can- <laughs> Well, that's that's a story for later. I mean, just
0: from experience, it's not just fighting gravity. Okay, all right, that's all I'm going to say.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, but no. So uh, we've talked about on a few of our other episodes with you. Access to medical supplies is a pretty big concern. You know, you think you do an impressive job packing for a vacation when you're gone for a couple weeks. Imagine you know, a year, two years, or however long they spend on the International Space Station. And it turns out most medicines expire or begin to lose potency within about a year. There's a wide variation depending on the antibiotics. Santos, you'd know way more about that than I would. But antibiotics and other drugs break down. Well, in space, apparently that's affected even more rapidly. So Eleanor, talk us through like what happens to drugs in space, in space. And, <laughs> and how do we give them a longer life when we send people out in space?
3: Well, it's, oh, very, it's a very the- important topic. Um, actually, NASA is very interested in this because just as as you said in your introduction, we have to make sure that Whatever supply we take with us is going to last for as long as we need, wherever our destination is. And really what I think NASA is looking at now are these longer forays into deeper space, you know, to the moon and then eventually to Mars. And given what we know from experiments that were done initially on the space shuttle and then continuing on the space station, we know that medications do tend to, to certain medications tend to degrade faster than they would on Earth. Most of the medications that seem to have shorter shelf life, if you will, not totally surprising. Medications that tend to have relatively shorter shelf lives on earth, like creams, ointments, you know, things that are not what we call solid dosage forms tend to be somewhat less stable. And that seems to also be the case in space. Uh, antibiotics also tend to degrade faster. Augmentin for one is is one that's that's known to degrade quite quickly. So there is obviously this interest in trying to figure out how can we prolong the shelf life of these med- medications, or even there's been consideration of whether you can bring all the raw materials that you need on board to manufacture medications. You know, there is some limited precedent to printing medications, believe it or not. Lot- lots of these considerations, not a lot of good answers yet, but but something that, that NASA is keenly interested in. Uh, one interesting um, article that I spotted recently actually from a group in, I believe it's on in Australia that's been doing work with looking at stability of medications. And they were doing some experiments with Motrin, ibuprofen, on the space station where they actually placed ibuprofen capsules in a container and had it basically placed on the outside of the space station. So exposed to all sorts of, you know, radiation and so forth. And when those samples were wait, brought wait, back,
2: I know this one. One of them oh, got super stretchy. One of them was able to turn invisible.
3: Exactly the Fantastic Four. <laughs> IV
2: I've heard this story before.
3: <laughs> we know where this is headed. Um, but <clears throat> interestingly enough, not surprisingly, most of the Motrin did degrade. You know, over the time, it was on the outside of the, you know, in this container on the outside of the space station. But uh, they did also look at whether there was anything that could help uh, retard the degradation of Motrin. And curiously, they found that uh, some of the uh, flavorings that were put into ibuprofen that tend to be free radical scavengers, interestingly interestingly enough, uh, did help to retard some of the, breakdown. So whether that is a, a possibility of enhancing, maybe using different types of excipients, these additives to the active ingredients of medications can help to retard breakdown. That's certainly something that's worth looking at, I think, more closely. I think the other thing that that is important to really figure out, and I don't know if NASA's exactly figured all of this out, but you know, the assumption with the Motron breaking down is that probably it was due to some type of radiation exposure, whether that was gamma rays or if it was, um, you know, high-speed particles like alpha or beta particles, not not necessarily clear. But um, inside the spacecraft, there could be, you know, issues with ambient humidity, for example, that may may also play a role. So lots of unanswered questions, but we do – I mean, we know for a fact – there's an accelerated degree of degradation of medications. You probably would not um, have enough of these active medications by the time you'd get to Mars, per se, for example. So it is a problem that needs to be clearly solved. And um, NASA is actively looking at that. And along with that, they're also very, very seriously looking at What types of medications have to be taken? What's absolutely necessary for, let's say, a trip to Mars? Um, What are the most likely medical conditions that we're going to have to pack meds for? Um, And also even conditions that, you know, it may not be worth treating. I'll put it that way. So they're making these hard trade-off decisions in terms of what selection of medications they're going to put on board and basically with a limited amount of space to put into a whole medical kit. So uh, lots of different considerations. Um, I don't think all of it's solved yet. I think we're still a ways away from that, but it is an active area of of investigation, both within NASA and with external investigators.
2: They're still trying to figure out how to justify space Viagra, probably.
3: That's it. Yeah. Um,
2: (laughs) So yeah, uh, after a year in a space briefcase, just sort of Chained to the outside of the station, yes, uh, only two of the six ibuprofen tablets maintains their their properties. but I want to talk about these excipients because they were very specific which excipients were used, and I want to know if you have any idea which one protected those two surviving ibuprofen. Because there's a mixture of the excipients, acetic acid, acetic acid flavor, malty biscuity,
3: thirty-seven,
2: yes, <laughs> and four ethyl phenol wine.
3: Okay,
0: stop making things up. That's okay. You did this with the Wolverine and the Fantastic Four. I'm no going need to start to say, spouting gibberish on this. I've got to now?
2: say, I may be, I may be unfairly painting food scientists. With the same brush as regular scientists on name. because uh, multi biscuity thirty seven tastes rather nice and is produced yeah. by browning malt. It's part of what gives Motrin that a uh, darker color.
0: Oh, the the shell around the outside, is a which
2: is
3: certain pecan flavor. Yeah,
0: melts in your mouth, not in your hand. <laughs> yes. That's that's their motto, isn't it? I. Yeah. <laughs>
3: you know, one- one thing I don't know, by the way, just from this study, was did they did they actually test tablets? Did they test the caplets or the liquid gels? You know, that's they not tested really
2: they tested the tablets. Ah, okay. Because there there is a great reason for this, because mixed in with the other excipients, you know, multi biscuity thirty seven and four ethyl wine, <laughs> um, iron oxide which can block radiation. It's like a little lead shield built into the candy, Uh, except it's not lead.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> metals it's are pretty rust. good at yeah. Right, there you go. Metals are are pretty good at deflecting uh, X rays, right? As anybody will see if you go through a CT scanner with a metal leg, and it looks like a starburst, right? It, it, there's artifacts and everything all over because the X rays are reflecting at odd or, angles, or you know,
3: or like putting aluminum foil in a microwave. Oh, that too. Yeah.
0: But it only sparks if you crumple it up because you have to create the surface area. for. Everything. Ah, yeah. Uh, but I, um, I mean, I've read.
3: So I've been told. <laughs>
0: I've never experimented <laughs> with that.
2: Definitely have not had any broken microwaves. No, sirree. <laughs> no,
0: there's no reason I had to save up my allowance to buy a brand new microwave for my mom and dad after I broke it in the seventh grade.
2: I'm um, so glad you said your mom and dad and not your wife, because no. <laughs> she's still teaching you about foil <laughs> and... <laughs> Microwave
0: sa- safety at age 40 through? Yeah, yeah. That's, there's a problem with that word there. But I... I, I I think that's so cool. So you can, with safe materials, I mean, rust is inert, essentially, when you ingest it. So it'll just go out in your poop as long as you don't ingest too much of it. Um, you, I'm guessing you'll absorb a tiny bit because we absorb iron from our gut, but we're bad at it with our, our elemental iron. But that's a kind of a cool inert molecule to use there. If radiation is the culprit, then that's a pretty good block.
3: Yeah. The only thing I wonder is, you know, <laughs> when radiation is hitting certain substances, and I'm wondering if it's hitting like this iron oxide that probably is part of the coating and the coloration of the outside. of. You've probably seen brown, you know, the brown ibuprofen tablets. Um, you c- Those radiation particles could potentially cause a secondary spray of particles. And I don't know if that is good or bad in terms of protecting the tablets or hastening their degradation. So I don't know. I think they've, it's interesting observations, but I think they need to do a lot more work.
0: You're talking about if we get radioactivity in the form of radioactive particles that actually go and settle in and then, you know, neutrons and stuff get knocked off and actually make the medicine uh, radioactive in terms of its own decay
3: no, uh, no, that would be like let's say you have a an alpha particle hitting mm-hmm. that iron oxide particle, okay. um or molecule. Then sure. it would it would potentially split that apart into its separate components, oh, components. of iron and oxide, or Got you know, it. or potentially if it hits some other type of molecule, that could cause a could cause some type of degradation of that molecule into other substances that may be oh, toxic. or toxic exactly.
0: Got, it, got um, it. So they don't have to necessarily be radioactive. No, it's just no. that like, got it, got it, got it. So
2: okay. designing inert substances is going to become a new challenge <clears throat> and field of and field of developing urban pharmacology, yeah. suburban, super urban, wherever know. the space cities end up. Um, or maybe, or maybe we
3: can just, you know, basically massively CRISPR-Cas9 everybody to make them like super soldiers, so we don't need medications. You heard it here
2: first, folks, and not from (laughs) me. (laughs) And from me, I'd like to point out. No, Uh, no, no. (laughs) You bring up, both of you bring up good points, although not quite to the uh, extremes that we took them. Um, When you're dealing with this whole new environment of microgravity in space it 's not just the drugs which you have to examine, like the drugs' effect or the environment 's effect on the drugs it 's also the environment 's effect on our bodies and this brings us into one of your favorite topics Santosh uh, microbiomes
0: mm-hmm. oh yeah, absolutely
2: For, or a study from Northwestern actually developed a tool to examine space effect on the gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so they developed a tool called Similarity Test for Accordant and Reproducible Microbiome Abundance Patterns, which we can abbreviate star maps.
0: Ah. Oh, <laughs> see, this is why you need because NASA is government and there's some military influence in there. This is uh, those are the folks who know how to name stuff. That's
2: exactly. Awesome. <laughs> Those are the acronym masters. Surprisingly, in addition to using star maps to look at not, in fact, the stars, but your gut, <laughs> yes. uh, the, they used it to compare sp- spaceflight data collected from Earth-based studies of effects of radiation on the gut. So they could compare space to Earth and actually have a control and see what changed between the two. So uh, researcher Martha vita Turna who led the study, uh, published in the journal Microbiome. And it actually looked at the Scott Kelly and Mark Kelly, one of who I think is running for senator right now, right?
3: I Mm -hmm. believe so. Or re-election, something like that out in Arizona. Yeah, yeah.
0: The the twins, the twins. The twins. This This was was part of the NASA twins study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So keep one on the ground. I don't know if they drew straws or what. <laughs> and then the other one goes into space. And then the other one gets to come back home and say, Ha 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 ha,
2: I got to go into space. Well, here, just before, I to... <laughs> before Scott Kelly's uh, ego gets a little too large at his importance of being the one in space. Sure. Uh, researcher Vita Turna found that a year in space affected his gut microbiome, but not in a statistically significant way. There wasn't enough data to draw general conclusions about the effects of spaceflight on the human body. So in order to be able to follow up on that study, they want to send mice in larger numbers, which means he was the safety pilot for a bunch of mice in space. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, mice have become such a fantastic... Uh, model animal or or model system, I should say, for studying the microbiome, because they, and, and, you know, I'm not speaking for all mice, but the ones that we experiment on-
2: Which ones are you speaking for?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can, if you treat them humanely, you don't need a ton of space. You can regulate their food and still keep it nutritious and healthy. They're pretty Um, quiet. They're pretty quiet. And you can keep them abiotic if you need to, or reduce or manipulate the microbiome. And they can still kind of live their lives in their little cages. And they're social animals, so you can, you know, you can put them together in groups. Um, so you you eliminate you know that variable of like oh just one animal all by itself but so imagine
3: they're probably all clumping
2: together floating around and they're
0: oh my god mouse kings in space
2: <laughs> <laughs> so star maps the tool that was used provides a method to put all the data from different experiments into the same multidimensional space which makes it sound like tony stark's computer from the avengers Um, This lets users more readily see patterns where different types of bacteria become more or less abundant under different conditions. And in the previous group of mice who were sent into space before this tool was originally available, that was Northwestern's uh, rodent research dash seven experiment that was up on the ISS for, uh, I believe, almost a month. And they did notice that the control group on Earth, even though it had the exact same temperature, gas composition, whatever data was sent to them from the space station, uh, the only true variable as best they could account for was the presence of microgravity. And that shifted certain bacterial growth patterns. Now, Eleanor, do you know some of the bacteria that thrive or fail to in space?
3: well all of this makes me think of some of the work that's been done with salmonella actually and um looking at salmonella and host uh gut epithelial cell interactions and they do they have been documented to change in space which may impact the virulence of salmonella for example so you know some of the actual relevance to these changes in the microbiome could have some significant relevance in terms of the types of disease that could pop up or how severe a disease uh, there could be manifesting in, in microgravity. Um, But we also know, you know, increasingly here on earth that the microbiome has a lot of other effects on our overall metabolism. So how much of the microbiomes shifting in space is affecting other physiology in space beyond just the lack of gravity. I mean, it's a really fascinating area that we have, very limited knowledge of right now.
2: And as our microbiome shifts, imagine, you know, even a simple, what, however many years to Mars and back could mean at the end, all those humans have now evolved microbiomes that make them anything from lactose intolerant to more prone to Parkinson's.
0: Oh oh
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean the I'm la- playing plain extremes. But- right, right, right.
0: The the latter is is ha- has been researched to be very, very fair and looked into and in smaller kind of constrained uh Uh, groups, you know, you've seen effects, um, case control studies, you've seen effects of, uh, you know, changes in microbiome correlated with neurological disease. You're absolutely right. But something more directly impacting right there on the gut. So I I like what uh, Eleanor was talking about right now in terms of metabolism. So we have to think of all the time, how do we feed these folks, you know, and just thinking of macronutrients, right, how many calories are they going to need from carbohydrates, fats and proteins, the big three, and microbiome will shift this need. And Mm -hmm. you might be Undernourishing your astronauts, which of course you know, if they're starving, if they're in a protein deficit or anything like this, you could really cause problems because they have to make decisions. Then you get and space scurvy. Yeah, yeah, all alone it's up there. Space and, yeah, yeah, and so those are and those are micronutrients, right? So they have to have
3: limes floating all over the. <laughs> no, <space> no. <laughs> <here>.
0: <laughs> so yeah, absorption of vitamins, just like vitamin C, and then your fat absorbable you know ADE and C uh, as oh, or sorry ADE and K, K as well as your B complex which relies on our microbiome to kind of break it down so that we can absorb it and that can-
4: In a given month,
0: over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional.
4: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today.
0: thing. So yeah, just, you know, if you're saying that the first few missions, just like you're talking about Josh to Mars, where we haven't learned to grow poop potatoes yet, And you have to send the food and whatever they have with them on that capsule is whatever they have. And now you have to say, oh, well, we have to recalibrate what that food is, you know, maybe a little more astronaut ice cream, maybe a little less astronaut ice cream, depending on what their microbiome is going to do over the journey. And then once they get to Mars.
2: Sadly, very misleading. They've actually never taken astronaut ice cream into cream space. Into
0: space. Yeah, I know. Oh, I, I know. It's, I was hoping you'd comer. let that one go.
2: I can't. I can't. <laughs> I it broke my heart to learn. <laughs> you feel so <laughs> betrayed.
0: I, should, I shouldn't be laughing this hard. but yeah.
2: <laughs> Just still brings a tear to my eye. I'm sorry. Which I can gosh. use to rehydrate my ice cream.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But
2: you do... You do bring up an excellent point about getting certain vitamins and nutrients in space and how are you going to do it? And it's a perfect segue into our next story, uh, how astronauts can get, you know, vital nutrients through recycling their urine and exhaled breaths. Um Now, this is probably not as surprising to some of our audiences, you might think, but this is a new approach to it. Slightly older article, back from around 2017, 2018, but chemical engineers at Clemson University are bioengineering a strain of yeast, Yarrowia lipolytica. It's a cousin of baker's yeast. So, you know, Mm -hmm. all that starter you got during the pandemic, Um, (laughs) NASA picked up its own as well. <laughs> and it's specifically very good at making and storing large amounts of fatty acids and lipids, uh, specifically omega 3s, the vitamin or the fat, the lipid that we need for heart, eye, and brain health. So you can't really bring a lot of fish on the space station, but if you have a certain yeast that they can use to colonize, then you, when astronauts recycle their urine already for drinking water, don't believe me, Eleanor will fill that in in just a moment, <laughs> and uh, you'll then be able to enjoy the benefits of rich salmon fish-like omega-3s in your very own excrement. And boy, if that doesn't make it sound the most appetizing, mm. mm-mm. you can't get enough, you're in luck. <laughs>
3: mm. yeah. My, you know this brings up a a memory that I have not space related, but I actually did get a question many years ago uh from a sales rep who was working at a company I was working at at the time <clears throat> and she sat it was a serious question she had gotten from a physician who wanted to know um if a patient of his, uh, who drank his own urine every morning, just like Peter the Great, um, (laughs) would be at risk of- Was he really uh, that great? I'd say more like Peter
2: the Weird, weird. but sure. (laughs) Um,
3: (laughs) That could he become intoxicated with a certain antidepressant he was taking if it was being excreted, you know, unchanged in his urine? Oh, because
0: he's re- he's just recycling yeah, he's just,
3: it. He's, just, like he's he's recycling. God. Yeah, he's re-ingesting it. Um, we really didn't have any data to give him any guidance, but it was an intriguing question. And of course, in the recesses of my mind, I still remember that for forever and ever. But that's also <laughs> something I've often wondered when they they do recycle your urine, you know, on the space station, for example. Um, yeah. So you're they purify it and. That it becomes drinking water once again. But, you know, we know that there are a lot of things that are excreted in our urine besides, you know, I don't know. You know, there, there are drugs that can be excreted. So if you have yeah. your crew members that are taking miscellaneous God knows what, um, how is that impacting the other crew members if they're ingesting, I don't know. Lipitor, yeah, residual hey,
2: Lipitor. I yeah. <laughs> spiked his blood with metoprolol again. You guys, come on, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> or, or Viagra.
0: <laughs> so. there, to the, the, the Viagra again. <laughs> <laughs> it's with you and the Viagra. I, I will say, I, I want to insert some history in here, and that wasn't an entendre, So don't you dare.
2: So <laughs> in your endo, the, yeah. <laughs>
0: This was one of my favorite stories. There are lots of wonderful, wonderful penicillin stories throughout history, how penicillin was actually smuggled uh, on wool coats. Like they, they just put the, the fungus on wool coats as people get crossed the Atlantic, you know, when they were fleeing, you know, kind of get out of Nazi occupied areas and that kind of thing. But my very favorite, honestly, is the tale of the pea Patrol, And this was after the discovery that penicillin is about 70% excreted. So you take a, you know, a hundred, let's say a thousand, you know, IU of penicillin and a seven, a hundred, you know, international units of that is not going to be used by your body. It's just going to be excreted straight out in your pee. And penicillin also crystallizes really, really beautifully well. So mm. you can actually just, you know, boil off the urine and then, you know, distill the the uh, the the penicillin and then they So there you're you free go. basing your urine? You're free, ba- free so, basing. But- well, when, when pharmacists and physicians figured this out and there was a penicil- penicillin shortage, right? Because this was the miracle drug. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, soldiers who are wounded in battle are not dying of sepsis everywhere. Get it going and that kind of thing. Pneumonia, all these kind of things. So they created the P-Patrol. Which was, hey, let's just go around and just collect the pee. Don't you know, instead of having people come and pee in this, <laughs> you know, we're gonna send out trucks and <laughs> fill it all up and then bring it in. And this worked all the way until we found a different species of penicillin producing fungus, which uh, deliciously grows on cantaloupe. Hmm. And that made it much, much easier to produce so we didn't have to go around harvesting Wait, peen
2: who's peeing on cantaloupes?
0: No, no, the cantaloupe is different. <laughs> 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 no, wonder cantaloupe has an orange hue. Today. No, no. <laughs> Stop conflating the two. No, no, no. They had to do pea patrol, and then someone figured out we had a more efficient penicillin producing fungus on cantaloupe, and then they didn't have to do pea patrol anymore. You know, I got to
2: say, I really like the the Paw Patrol reboot a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh,
0: Dude, if one of the little doggies was a pea patrol officer, that would be so awesome.
2: I mean, they're always sniffing around
0: yeah they are absolutely yeah, yeah
2: <laughs> um, so yeah, that would allow astronauts to grow their own vitamins and medications in their urine, depending on what they're ingesting. I mean, you could load up Bob with penicillin and Jane with b twelve, and you know everybody could be contributing a different element to the punch bowl, as it were, <laughs> oh, lovely, mm.
0: gross.
2: I just, I'm picturing everyone on the space station just in a giant circle like, all right, we all agree, we'll never <laughs> speak of this back on Earth. <laughs> just the heroism of being an astronaut.
0: <laughs> oh, they just made a blood pact? <laughs> yeah, okay, gotcha. gotcha. Well,
2: a, they u- made, a, made a urine pact? A
0: urine pact, urine yeah. pact. I'm sorry, I missed it. Oh my god, I missed such an open opportunity. No.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: they made a pee pact, yeah.
3: That's a (laughs) feedback.
0: Although this one wouldn't have to be, you know, never speak of this again type of a thing. This would be never speak of this on Earth. There we go (laughs) on Earth. So, like, you know, what stays in space? What happens in space stays in space.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That brings us to another more commercial or a very interesting program, which I was unaware of until Eleanor brought it to my attention. So Eleanor, can you tell us about Polaris?
3: Oh, wow. Um, This is something that's really lightened my fire these days. So as probably some or many of your uh, listeners are aware, um, you know, commercial space flight is certainly um, beginning to enjoy, a fair amount of notoriety and SpaceX in particular has, you know, is regularly launching to the space station. And in addition to that, they've actually been participating in some privately funded missions. Earlier this year, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jarek Isaacman, who is a self-made billionaire, he runs a check processing company, kind of similar to PayPal. So earlier this year, he paid for a flight, a private flight um, on a SpaceX Dragon capsule. So if you sent into orbit for four days, he paid for all four seats. So he paid for oh, himself oh, no. and three other
2: people. Oh, oh okay. okay. So I, this was... Just like bought up like the airlines. So yeah, no one was yeah. next to him. <laughs> exactly,
3: basically, exactly. And uh, he, had, he, there were, you know, these three other people selected for the, for this mission. And they, basically flew a private mission and also part of it was to raise money for St. Jude Children's Research Center. You know, pretty bold, pretty bold mission, you know, that four rookies were were sent up into space with, I think, relatively marginal training compared to what they do at NASA, but came back fine, great. Well, now um, Isaacman has paid for a couple of additional missions with SpaceX that are very interesting. They're called the Polaris Program And the first of these missions is called Polaris Dawn. That's uh, hopefully going to launch the end of this year, probably December. And the idea around these missions is they are privately funded missions to look at various enabling technologies that could, you know, get us to the next step in terms of getting to the moon, Mars, whatever. Um, But, you know, from a privately funded standpoint. So, This first mission, which I'm really intrigued with, um, when it launches, is going to... One of the big uh, objectives is that they are going to try to perform the first commercial EVA, extravehicular activity. This has never been done outside of the Russians uh, or the U.S. program. I'm not sure if um, the Chinese program has done EVA, but um, this is the first time this is going to ever be done. And so they are... uh, putting together their own, you know, training for this, for in preparation for EVA. They're developing, SpaceX is developing its own flight suit um, for the EVA um, itself. So this is going to be really interesting to see how SpaceX hand procedure um, compared to what we've seen, you know, traditionally with NASA, for example.
2: Now, in addition to this EVA mission, the crew is also going to be looking to advance human health on Earth. As well as during spaceflight, with a few different kinds of tests. One, using ultrasound to look at venous gas emboli, uh, which is a component of decompression sickness, something we've talked about in our scuba diving episode.
3: They are doing other biomedical experiments, looking at uh, radiation exposure as well, because one of the things, one of the other mission objectives, is they're going to attempt to launch this capsule as close as they can get. To the Van Allen belts, and this, and if we're lucky, they may actually exceed the altitude um, record that was held by uh, one of the Gemini missions back in the 1960s. So that's going to oh. be another interesting uh, thing that they're they're aiming for. They are going to be in orbit, but they're basically looking to launch to a very high orbit around the Earth.
2: They're also going to be at least partially one of the research these four fantastic astronauts are doing, is research related as guinea pigs to spaceflight-associated neuroocular syndrome, or SANS. This is, uh, I guess, a pretty regular issue or problem for most astronauts. Um, what can you tell us about it?
3: So so SANS, which it's now known as, is it's an increase in intraocular pressure that occurs in Some astronauts, uh, if they've been in space for a longer period of time, like more than about a month. Um, so this, you know, has become an increasing issue of concern on how to address, how to prevent it. First of all, identify it, um, and then ideally prevent it because obviously we don't want our astronauts going blind on their way out to, out to Mars. Various theories as to why this occurs. I think one of the prevailing thoughts right now is that there may be an increase in cerebrospinal fluid um, flow or it may increase in volume, which may be affecting intraocular pressure. There are some, I think, ophthalmologists that disagree with that, that there may be some other local things going on with the eye itself that may be causing pressure. And it's an increase in pressure Behind the eye, that's actually compressing the eyeball.
2: Because all the humors and stuff are in a microgravity environment, so they're not really holding. Oh, I wonder.
0: So wait the the globe isn't holding its shape.
2: Yeah, it
3: actually becomes flattened from the oh, reader. So there's from the concern. Oh, okay. Yeah,
2: eyeballs are literally floating in their sockets. Oh, that's a horrifying. No, <laughs>
3: oh, horrifying. And Sheesh. also, there's concern that the uh, that the uh, optic nerve may be slightly compressed; it develops like torsion; it gets kind of like, almost like an accordion um, gotcha. when images have been taken. So the concern, obviously, is that this may be affecting visual, you know, visual acuity, and people could lose their sight. So they want to figure out how to how to mitigate this. Um, I think there's some recent work looking at lower body negative pressure tests in space that may help to mitigate some of this. Um, but no, I don't think there's any one clear way of correcting this now. So it's not surprising that they're doing some type of experiment with this um, up there this as well. Is,
0: this is akin, I mean, it's not, it's not decompression sickness per se. It's not altitude sickness the way that you know that happens when you have genuine changes in pressure because this is a shift in gravity but this sounds well, you, a
3: you, but you are getting cephalid cephalad flow of fluid once you go into space so it means headward towards your yeah, headward, headward.
0: <laughs> so the the gravity that helps you know a lot of us you know especially as we get older if you're sitting for a long time you're you know even if you don't have heart failure your liquids just everything lymph and water and all this stay near your feet so you your your ankles can swell up a little bit not right. dangerously but so this would never happen there and you know normal blood pressure and everything so everything flows up to your head so your head you know expands a little bit i guess but it, it's multifactorial, the, a lot of the way that altitude sickness or decompression sickness is. So when we don't have the exact root of the problem, then I imagine it's hard to find a, a solution because you're just trying to go after symptoms and support rather than attacking the root cause. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it it, it is a big issue of concern. The one other uh, thing that's interesting Another interesting objective for Polaris Dawn, and this gets into that, you know, the um, something, you know, something back helping to their charitable work, is that um, one of the, I think, goals of St. Jude's Children's Research Center is to try to reduce the global incidence of childhood cancer. Um, And the Polaris Dawn mission sending is sending be-
2: kids into space.
3: No, oh, sending no. kids into space. Fewer
2: <laughs> um, kids on Earth with cancer. Mission solved. <laughs>
3: uh, uh, there we go. <laughs> That's a <laughs> no, good No, no, like- it's, it's not that dystopian. Yeah. Uh, um, they're actually going to be experimenting with use of um, communication links with Starlink. You know that SpaceX is also sending up those. You know, little mini satellites that are going to be used for uh, communication. So they're no. looking at the ability to, tr- I think, to, they're doing something with communication testing of the Starlink system from orbit um, because they are hoping, I think, that the Starlink will be able to give global access to um, basically global cellular access to even remote areas on Earth. So, Um, So that's the one of their missions. So there's the altitude objectives, there's the Starlink objective, and then the the research. And then the highlight of all that, the medical stuff is going to be this EVA, which I'm going to be really interested in seeing and hopefully the end of this year.
2: Yeah, we'll be looking forward to it. And we'll have to have you back on to tell us about it once it's done. Um, And maybe when they finally stop scrubbing missions from NASA.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we can't, as much as we want to, Josh, we can't control the weather.
2: Yet.
3: Or, or the hydrogen leaks,
2: apparently. Or
0: the hydrogen leaks. Um, I'm so happy, though. I, and, you know, Odor, if, only sure he... we
2: had, if only we had somebody with Jordy's visor, they could catch those
0: leaks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And they
2: wouldn't the... have to deal with their eyeballs floating out of their sockets.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> 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 you know, he still kept his own eyes. You know, he just... They, well, they yeah, did...
2: the visor held them in place. <laughs> the banana clip, yeah. The banana yeah. Cl- there you go.
0: <laughs> Lord Almighty. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's it for uh, for this week.
0: Yeah, urine, <laughs> fungus, and eyeballs floating out of your head. Who wants nice. to go to space, people?
2: And Peter, you <laughs> thought the scariest thing was some redneck alien trying to probe you.
3: I'm telling you, that movie still, scary stuff (laughs)
0: Dude, this is like, you stay on Earth you're getting probed, you go up your eyeballs float out of your head and then, you know you have to drink pee, like it's damned if you do damned
3: if you don't I mean,
0: come (laughs) on (laughs) Well, I've got to say and this is where I am really really intrigued, and we'll have to see where the future goes, ultimately you have to have a self-sustained ecosystem right whether it's in space or on another planet or something like that so we are going to have to have a thing where we have the full-on circle of life you know where our poo and our pee gets recycled into the system and food and water are you know salvaged from the other side and there's all of the bacteria and fungi in between doing the things
2: and yeah, where in this circle of life does the baboon and the lion pride fit? Because I don't know how many space years of God. Mufasa dying I can take.
0: Oh, God, Simba.
2: Simba in space. No, no, no. There'd be a lot of matatas. Yeah. Not so many Hakunas.
0: Yeah.
4: Got you there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh.
2: Well, that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, or you could join our new subscription tier, which is ad-free, assuming you heard this version with ads. I don't know. (laughs)
0: yeah <laughs> you just you're this is the equivalent of just you're just flinging things into the stratosphere and you're like our theme music you-
2: is composed by Rachel Lisher. this show is produced <laughs> by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santos and friends special thanks to uh, space pharmacist Eleanor o. Rangers for her Always delightful insight and uh, expertise, and or,
3: uh, or something like that, yeah. Oh, no!
2: <laughs> and until next time, as always, I'm gonna skip over all the warnings because everyone's ignoring them anyway. So just <laughs> wash your hands and happy travels.
0: <laughs> oh, <I> just... <laughs> welcome to post pandemic, people. We made it. <laughs>
3: It's all your decision now. (laughs) At least
2: least till the annual flu season episode. Go nuts! (laughs) Lick everything! No, don't though.
0: Especially on the space station. Oh, oh, thanks! Thanks for that little uh, (laughs) pulling it back from the brink with that. Don't really
2: (laughs) go find multi biscuity thirty seven. And until next time, happy travels! Bye, guys.